It's time to gather together. Hi there, I'm Yelta, and I'll be buying the first round while we chat about Final Fantasy XIV. This is episode 178. Pull up a chair and join us. On the menu tonight, patch 5.08 notes. Letter from the producer live, part 54, from the Tokyo Game Show, set for September 15th. Announcing Memoirs of Adventure Creative Writing Contest. Tales from the Shadows updated, announcing the social media support pilot program, two interviews with the Final Fantasy XIV team, developer's blog, once more on the casual toxicity train, fan mail, and shout-outs. But first, let's shoot the shit what has been going on this week. Hey there, Ruby! Yelta! What's what? up? What? Hey, what's going on? Hi. Uh, not a lot. It's another week in the beautiful world of Eorzea, or Nordvent, or wherever you're... <laughs> Wherever you decide to play, wherever, you know. Um, and, you know, another week of uh, doing that thing. So uh, Cap Tomes um, ran the E1S, got some gear. So I bought shoes because um, I think I would bought body and then I bought weapon. And it I was like, uh, like 50 tones or something shy of getting shoes last week. So I got them this week. And then um, I was at five pages for E1S. Um, I held off, so I got a sixth page, but my name was up on the Suicide Kings list. I wanted either earrings or belt, both dropped, so I ended up with the belt, nice. and I bought earrings, so that means I have two pages left over that I can buy something else with in two more weeks, and, um, probably on healer, because I'm done, I'm done with caster for E1S. Honestly, it was, it's, if you want no spell speed... Uh, it's it's earrings, ring, and belts, and everything else is going to be tome on the right side. So um, I'm pretty happy with what it's at. Yes, it's eye level, so I could continue to get more eye level, I suppose. But uh, at least for, for best in slot, because if we clear E2S, mind you, and I get those upgrade items for the accessories out of there, um, then I can start upgrading. So tomes first, and then, you know, you go from there. But um Feeling real good about that. I think DPS was strong on E1S. Um, I was reading the FF logs and learned a couple of things I could optimize better. So I'm actually looking forward to that next week. Um, kind of coming off, this is like, I'm going to switch back to real life and then I'm going to switch back to video games. But uh, IRL-wise, um, I finally got the apartment the way I want it. Um, if you'll recall in Rubicon's life, this episode, I moved... Uh, apartments within the same apartment complex so but we still had to move so that's shitty and you know tiring and all that but we, we got everything into place i think last time i was like 95 percent there 98 percent there we're good we're 100 everything's up and i've long time had a wall sign my brother got for me way back in the day prior to final fantasy at least 2.0. I think he got it to me during the 1.0 days, but it's based off of my 11 character. So I was Rubicon um, you know, on the Ramu server, Final Fantasy 11. And my brother and I played 11 together. Well, at some point in California, he happened upon a sign that says Rubicon. And uh, he got it to me. He sent it to me. I don't know how the hell he got it to me. I don't even remember now. And I've got this sucker on the wall. It's a big sign. I love it. If you want to <laughs> check it out, you can check my Twitter. I have a picture of it, I think. And, uh, anyway, I love it. It's up on the wall. I'm happy. It's above the desks. I feel like I'm Rubicon again. It's just nice to have this up. Um, and my son is using it to learn his letters. He can go, ooh, and in. So, uh, you got five more letters to go, son. It's, it's educational. 
It's educational. There you you go. damn right. <laughs> PBS up in this bitch. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, last stuff. Uh, and this is actually a little, I gave somebody a spoiler today. We'll read an email later. Somebody asks us about this topic, but I got a hold of a copy of Near Automata. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started. So I was telling Yelta earlier, I'm up to a spot where a Goliath appears in the city square and I'm fighting the Goliath. And I'm nowhere to knowing what the secrets of Nier are and um, anything. So uh, my mind is reeling. I've told Yelta it's like I'm going like, is this like Horizon Zero Dawn? Is this like War of the Worlds? Um, there's all these like different alien and robot tropes that I'm trying to, uh, figure it out. But, uh, I do plan on having near finished before 5.1. I think that should be pretty easy to do. And, uh, I'll talk about it. I think it might be something we decide we do in the future is uh, talk all about near. So anyway, that's kind of been my week. I'm sure there was other stuff I did, but it all just kind of gets thrown in there because it's been fun. We've been doing a lot of stuff lately, so I'm pretty happy. What about you, Yelta? I didn't do much. It was it was a quiet, underwhelming week for Yelta. I uh, I didn't even cap last week. I had like thirty tomes. I'm I did. Wow. I know. Kicked. Kicked from the set. Casual. Um, casual. Uh, yeah, I I've been playing the fuck out of wow classic so i've been having a good time with that i enjoy leveling though a lot of the things people hate in final fantasy 14 i actually enjoy now i don't really enjoy spending you know a whole silver to go from one town to another or whatever and yes i go pee when i'm on a griffin but i like i like the kill 11 you know warthogs and and bring me 10 skins quests you know I, I I like leveling and I like just it's just chill for me. So uh, I I've got what did I name them off earlier? I've got a bunch of characters. Uh, some of hit fifteen. So I and I'll probably play that some more, but I probably won't play it as much as I have this last week because. Well, and that's cool. We were talking about that earlier, not to get on like a huge <laughs> wow topic or anything. I don't mind you talking about it, but just you know derailing too much is. <laughs> The leveling experience in WoW, right, uh, is that it is an experience like 11. It's a different experience. I think WoW's is closer to 14 and they, you know, get this quest, kill three things, whatever, come back, turn in the pelts. Mm-hmm. But in the sense that the leveling actually takes time, you can... I mean, solo and in groups, but it's the whole open world thing, right? You walk into an open world dungeon or something. Um, I was watching uh, a guy. I like to watch a lot of Lyric, and uh, he's he's a streamer on Twitch. And he was uh, with a group of like three other mages, and they were in some instance where they just camped the door, and they they you know they they bind. It's like all the debuffs that we have and don't use for anything. Mm-hmm. They they uh, they slow and bind, uh, freeze these enemies in this place, and then they channel their ice magic. An AOE kill, and so they stagger their ice magic, and somebody's up there that binds them, and the other slows them, and the other two stack. And it's just kind of cool to watch that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. I understand that that slow leveling thing. I didn't experience WoW. I didn't yeah. play back then, but I get it, and I get why that's fun. I get why that's more fun than Eureka. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I think it's that's. One of the things that we clamor to to have in this game, or sometimes we look 
nostalgically, favorably on that experience. But I also asked Yelta, what happens to all these people who played WoW Classic when they get to Endgame? There will be a percentage of them that want to do some Endgame, and the rest will go, oh, that was nice nostalgia to go back through that. Time to play another game. Mm-hmm. Unless they decide to do Burning Crusade and Brett Lich King or whatever other expansions there are and just continue to do WoW Classic. Relaunch WoW, I guess, every two years. But I don't know yeah, what their yeah, plans are. Yeah, fre- freezing it in place. Eventually, everybody will do everything that they can do, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And I've heard all those raid bosses have been beaten already and all that stuff. And, I mean, yeah, they, everybody knows the guides of those fights and people mm-hmm. know what to do and everything. So it's not like relearning. It's just... It's just an experience thing, and I get that. I'm not dissing that. I, I understand that people want that trip down memory lane, and the fact that the leveling process is slow gives them three weeks, a month of of whatever to, to level, or maybe even longer well, if they want to do that. Well, and per character, right? You can't right. do all the professions. You can't do all the crafting classes. So there's longevity you know, there's with that. There's longevity if you want to like, play the full horizontal game, you know, if I want to play all... You know, if I want to play 10 characters, you can have 10 characters on a server. If I want to play 10 characters and cover all the professions and and all the, you know, max out fishing or whatever the hell you want to do, you know, and like racial bonuses mean something. I have to decide if I really want to be a gnome so I can be the best at engineering. And, mm-hmm. and, and the slow leveling process also makes it so that, oh, my God, you know, this this level or this low level wand dropped. It's a green item, and it's now made my life so – gear just feels different. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember. I, I mean, Since I, a progression. I 14, and 14, you do feel good when you get, you know, a certain low-level set. But it's been a while since I've been a newbie in, in 14. But it's so fast, right? It's like really you go into one dungeon, now. a 30 – let's say you go into Brave Flocks or something. You go into a 32 dungeon, and then you, you pop out, and you go into, a, you know, a 45 dungeon. Well, then you get another green, and it may not take you – a week to go from 32 to 45 it might take you two days or Mm -hmm. something you know so i think that's the difference is yeah we're not like getting a a green after an expansion that beats a purple or whatever some of those grievances but we're also getting like a green and then another green and then another green and then another green and it's like well all the greens are worthless anyway Mm -hmm. at this point (laughs) well and i do remember when like wrath of the lich king dropped me just basically going in there doing the first fetch quest and like some item i had just you know, worked really hard raiding for just tossed on the ground, basically. Yeah. Like disenchanted. But it's kind of like know, breaking just, your relic in half to get the next. Just put it on my knee. Just be like, all right. Mm-hmm. I guess that was great. And you played near. You were playing near. I just pulled yeah. mine up now. I have gotten endings A, B, G, K, and W. <laughs> I don't even remember what that means. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I have to go back. I apparently haven't played since uh, March. I have to go. Oh, well, there you there go. Well, you got a little time, a little but time. not much. It, mm-hmm. We're starting to – we've got some interviews we're talking about today that have Yokotaru, and they're talking about the 5.1 raid. So, I mean, if we're starting to talk about it, it's coming soon. And then, of course, we raided. I felt E1S went okay. E2S I was not doing so good in, but I don't know, man. 
I thought we did all right. We <laughs> I, saw. I think we as saw, a group, we did good. We saw Enrage. We saw, we did. We did actually see Enrage. I have to. I have to temper my expectations because honestly, well, some other people I know have been uh, doing extra practice and stuff. The hours we've put in there has not been that much. We so haven't far. put any time whatsoever in this, and so like maybe maybe if only my raid set is listening to this right now, you should feel good about your performance because we don't do this, but for like. Maybe an hour learning a new prog per week, and we're on the. I think this is our. Was that our third attempt on E two, or maybe our second? I don't. Maybe it was our third attempt in E two S that was of any significant time, and we did really well to see in rage to be able to do some of that in and out on the quietest stuff to really know the positions and get back there. I mean, I thought everything went great. Yeah, it was a it was a good time, and I'm looking forward to next week. Oh boy, uh, that was really it. I did not do much else this week. Final Fantasy. I mean, I hopped in and like quick did a couple challenge log things. I don't have all my crafters up to fifty, so I did our eighty. Huh. Uh, so I did I did make sure I got my custom deliveries done for the week and whatever. But uh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, listeners, you can come shoot the shit, please. Go to the website, www.gtffxiv.com. Leave us a comment about what you've been up to or email us or whatever. We'll give you all that at the end. Uh, all right, uh, bot us around. We do have a list of donations slash patrons. Ruby, you want to read the list? I will. So we have Wade, Demi45, Kevin Hughes, Eddie Aguilera, Fleur Copperstone, Cooperstone, uh, Varya Kaman and Cloudy Music, thank you, thank you, thank you for your patronage. Uh, listeners, you can go to our Patreon. Uh, you can check out our PayPal if you don't like Patreon. Um, you can contact us directly. But just for listening, thank you. Just for being – you know, sending us your feedback and being a part of the show, thank you. You don't have to give us money. We'll accept any donation, but you don't have to give us anything. Just listen. All we really ask is feedback. We we get feedback. It's usually from the same three people. So we would love to have feedback. We would love to have your feedback about anything. We've been talking about casual toxicity. We kind of put that label on it because that's really the buzz that's been going around uh, in the whole community recently. Um, we've got a very – a wide range of topics that we cover on this show. So anything that you feel like you want to hear and we don't talk about, let us know. And uh, Yelta and I were kicking around some ideas of what we want to do with the patron, um, the, the, the tiers, because we want to give more to our listeners. So uh, be on the lookout for that. I think we're going to make some changes here really soon to uh, give you guys some more perks. So be on the lookout. Yeah, we do have a, we do have a Discord, but I think currently it's a higher level thing. Yeah, I think we're going to uh, make some changes there to give you more accessibility. All right, then the first round is news. We have patch 5.08 notes, and uh, this, I don't remember. Let's see. Oh, this was, I remember. It came now. out like the day the, the we recorded or the night after we recorded. After we recorded yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the first one is free companies. Submersibles can no longer be deployed on exploratory missions. A wind submersible speed is zero. Apparently, submarines well. could go check shit out while they couldn't move. Hmm. In the gold saucer in Domen Majang, the probability of weights occurring after a player discards a tile has been reduced. 
Uh, so apparently it was pausing too long. Housing. Housing is now available on Spriggan and Tuatanya in the European Data Center. It's for free companies only. It sounds like they're going to roll these out in the same sort of uh, order or path or whatever that uh, that we had initially. And they're going to evaluate the housing market and decide when to remove the restriction uh, on individuals. So, All right, we got some battle system changes. These have been already widely discussed in the community, but uh, looks like Ninja got some stuff. I don't know how much. A lot of helped. potency. It's a most, a potency. Yeah, mostly potency. Uh, I don't know if it how much it helped or not. I think it helped. Help. Did it help? Okay. I think I, I I'm I've seen favorable things uh, for Ninja help. Again, Ninja and Summoner have some similar issues with the input and the actual rotation. So I'm not. I would not be surprised to hear Ninjas going. Yeah, but we need an overall on how this rotation mm-hmm. works. No. And they did fix the fix some adjust the help text on uh, Bunshin. Apparently, it was. It's way more wordy now. Uh, Samurai, again, looks like pretty much uh, potency buffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, increase of, you know, re- 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 recast time adjustments, that kind of thing. Uh, Arcanist uh, Summoner, I heard this is nothing. Did this help at all? <laughs> okay, well, I, in, in my... Like... <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of memes when this came out. Um, and really, again, Summoner needs more of a rework than it needs a potency increase. They said that during the live letter. This was the third question asked, and they said, look, there's two directions people want us to go. We want to, people want us to extend the dot time, uh, but we're thinking we want to make ruin where it is not affected by the number of dots. So that was something new for 5.0 it was the number of dots on the target increased it. Um, and what would happen is in the Summoner rotation, Unless everything was like just perfectly timed. And I even think even if it is perfectly timed, you still have a second to two second gap before mm-hmm. Dreadworm Trance comes up um, that you don't have any dots on the target and your ruins are doing pitiful amounts of damage. Is that kind of the clunkiness that people – Part of it. Yeah. Part of it. Not all of it. It's part of it. And uh, so what it was doing is for good summoners, it's helping them a little bit you know, for a couple of casts. For summoners that have issues keeping their dots up or whenever ads show up. So sometimes in a fight you'll have like an additional ad show up, one or two, and it's like it's not worth my time to hard cast miasma and a bio or bane it all again or whatever for just this one ad where the ruins were weak. Now you can maybe do a ruin three chain on it and take it down without having to put dots on it. There is some good out of this, but it's not good in the sense like, oh my God, summoner's fixed. Not even close. Mm, okay. Wait for 5.1. And we will wait. Because that's that's when we really expect any major types of overhauls. To right? some we degree. Don't... Again, I've seen if... them do this. We've seen them do this in the even-numbered patches before where overhauls okay. were made. to the. I think it was in Gordius when 3.2 came out and we were going to Midas. The tanks got a major overhaul, right? So for the how tenacity worked mm-hmm. and how strength mm-hmm. worked and things. So on the, back then, it was an even number patch. They did say they were going to make changes for 5.1. I don't know if we're going to have to wait for 5.1 and 5.2 for something or if 5.1 is, is good enough. They fixed Summoner in 4.1, so I don't know why they couldn't fix it in 5.1. Cool. 
All right. Hopefully they will give us some adjustments. Uh, they did adjust the ground in certain areas of Maltgog. I'm assuming, is it the white floor where you can't see the AoEs? Because that's what I, guess. I hope it is. Because yeah. <laughs> that, that, it is hard to see. It's very hard. Oh, yeah. See. When they're doing, like, that wall does that mm-hmm. line. Da- yeah. Uh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, they resolved some issues. Apparently, chests from Zonaskin maps were not appearing in the right location. Oh. It would erroneously end in failure. Apparently, the uh, the treasure map dungeon would kick you out, even though it shouldn't. Oh, my goodness. Oh, apparently, it was possible to discern whether or not the door would open at the start of the cutscene. Well, we mm-hmm. fucked up by not figuring mm-hmm. that out. So, it's some graphics and ingredients lists and some <laughs> copying and pasting problems from Mac. All right, and there's still an it's still a known issue where the number of materials received after do something facet male offending is incorrect. So fix that. Well, facet. that won't matter in five point one, will it? What? And then the desynth are we changing things to desynth? Oh yeah, but I, I think it's so everybody can desynth everything, so it might actually matter yeah. more. Mm. If you're getting the wrong shit from it, right? All right, letter from the producer live part fifty four. Uh from the Tokyo Game Show is set for September 15th. This one's exciting. Uh, it is... Oh, I see. It's, it's. I was going to say, but it's the 14th. But it's Saturday the 14th at 9 p.m. PDT. That still makes it 11. I'm confused. Is it the it's Japan time. Is that yeah, we have so, Japan time? Because okay. we're in Tokyo okay. Game Show, so they're calling it September gotcha. 15th. But I think for us it's the 14th. Yeah. All right. For us it's the 14th, I think. It's going to be on Twitch, Twitch, YouTube Live. It's going to be Patch 5.1 Preview Part 1 with special guests. We're going to have Yusuke Saito, member of the board of ex- and executive producer of Square Enix, and Yoko Taro, Here president. Yeah, right, right. So, that and, that, and that's it. That's all they told us. All we yeah. know is they're going to talk about Yorha Dark Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. 24 minutes. Think you right? wear the mask the whole time? Mm, I don't, probably. I have no idea. <laughs> we'll I'm, see. Look, I'm looking forward to that. That's that's. Oh, up. me too. I mean, I'm getting invested now, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm feeling uh, feel a kinship to to these guys, <laughs> and I'm I'm hoping to to see more. So yeah, this is this is going to be great. I, I I feel like this is either in the interview or I heard this on the podcast, but I think Yokotaru is like picking what music he wants mm. uh, for the 5.1. All right, announcing the Memoirs of Adventure Creative Writing Contest. They are having a contest. So the theme is write, creativi- re- write creatively about your fondest memory of playing Final Fantasy XIV. So the entry period has already started. It was September 2nd, and it goes till Monday, September 16th. So to enter, you have to post in the official entry thread on the forum, and there is a... Uh, practice thread you can submit into if you want to. Uh, Be sure to include the following in your submission. A creative writing that recounts your personal favorite or fondest memory of playing Final Fantasy XIV. Each entry, which includes the narrative and your selection for the available in-game prizes as discussed below, cannot exceed 3,000 character limit of the post. Screenshots or illustrations may be included, but they are optional and not required. Screenshots or illustrations will have no bearing on the judging. No more than four screenshots may be included. So they've got a guide on how to upload images to the Lodestone to post on the forum. 
uh, rules. You must not include any additional personal en- information in your entry. Entries may not be submitted or edited after submission, and only one entry per person. And if you enter more than once, only the first one will be uh, considered. The community will select 50 winners based on quality, creativity, originality, and overall execution according to the criteria listed below. Quality of the narrative, creativity of the narrative, originality of the narrative. And the 50 will get to choose from these fabulous prizes. They're the same fucking prizes. Uh, (laughs) Eligibility. You have to be a legal resident of the 50 states of the United America. Uh, District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, or Canada, excluding Quebec, and have a valid North American Square Enix account and be over the age of 13. So go read the full rules on the official forum so you can too can win the Scarf of Wonders Wit. <laughs> Great. I'll wait and buy it here in a couple of months. This is interesting. Don't we usually – don't we get an itinerant Moogle? You, I know we had one just we recently one, in, in May, but, but I, we, don't we get one around this time typically? Because don't they – because they, they would usually do the 14-hour broadcast. The four, they didn't see they, – they, they, they swapped that around on us. Yeah. They, I think they didn't give us a 14-hour broadcast, and I think they put the itinerant Moogle in early to get people to run the Crystal Tower so you'd know what the fuck is going on in Shadowbringers. That's my whole theory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tend to agree. All right, there's there's already there's some entries here. People have been writing. Is there more than fifty? There's yeah, there's more than fifty. <laughs> Apparently, people are doing this. Apparently, we are full of writers in Final Fantasy fourteen. There's hundred and thirty one entries. I am surprised, honestly. I'm gonna have to go back and read some of these. I won't write any though, I'm not a writer. <laughs> I'm not either. Not even close. Can't All draw, right. can't write. <laughs> All right. Tales from the Shadows was updated. I read this earlier today. This Good, because is... I just sped read it. So, <laughs> Echoes of Delusion. Uh, this is this one's about Astinian mm. and him and Ornkai, the little dragonling. Cute. Our, our ha- dragonette, they, I think is what they call him. Mm-hmm. They're hanging out in Kagane. Apparently. Yeah, he's toasting yeah. a squid for him. I like that. <laughs> that was adorable. <laughs> and then apparently, uh, uh, two little Lalafell come to look for help and give him a mission. But he spends apparently the entire night just, 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 just dragoon jumping away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who yeah. were those Taru Taru's? Oh, uh, I mean Lalafell. It was Kryl and uh, Tataru, I think. Yeah. 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 So he he got sent on a mission to the Empire. So, which if you've been playing 14, you know that, that he, he he's up there right now. That's correct. But he, I thought it was cute, him and a little little dragon. And yeah, this was... Uh, following him around. Yeah, I felt this was very lighthearted in comparison. I mean, I guess Astinian's kind of a dark character, right? So you kind of have to lighten him up a little bit. So I thought him and the Dragonette was pretty cute. And then, of course, like, he's dealing with the Lalas, too. So it's just, it's more lighthearted, at least compared to the, the previous story. I think that one was more like the the, the deep lore behind who Thancred is. Yeah, this isn't like, this isn't like, uh, 
uh, Estinian's turmoil of his past. It's like he's mm-hmm. eating squid and about to go kick ass. So. Yep, yep. I did think it was funny when he's like, oh, great, now I'm a babysitter, and Ornkai is like, uh, dude, I'm way older than you. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I'm ten times your age. I'm babysitting you. That was adorable. These continue to be entertaining. All right, announcing the social media support pilot program. This one was interesting to me. A lot of other mm. games or companies have Twitter accounts specifically for customer support. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're doing here. Social media pilot program. There's uh, at SE underscore NA underscore support on Twitter and on Facebook, SE dash NA dash support. So uh, they, they've created those accounts. Now they do warn us to double check what account you're tweeting or typing or whatever, because people out there try to make accounts that look like a lot like it or whatever. So I have heard the, the story link. of somebody that got tricked by one of these. I was on Facebook and I, I think I follow the Excalibur stuff on Facebook, but uh, there was a guy telling his story how he's a new player. He thought it was Mistex. And when he went and typed in the thing, it takes you to a lodestone looking page. He put his info in there and it makes you put in he used he used the authenticator. It makes you put in the authenticator, but what he figured is they give you a small window. That authenticator, if you push the button, as long as those numbers are on the screen, you can use that. And that numbers will stay up like I don't know, seven seconds. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is. It was long enough that once he put that in there, they immediately got into his account. They oh, used yeah. his account for thirty minutes. They took all of his gill, um, and there was something else, but they did not mess with the free company. They didn't not, didn't mess mm-hmm. with the free company chest. I don't think they even sold the items or took any of his items as a retainer. They just immediately dumped all his gear and maybe uh, maybe it was gear and gill uh, and maybe crystals. I don't know. And then that was it. They they sold it. They handed it off or sold it off to somebody or put it up. There was no trail. They couldn't figure out what the trail was. And once it was over, it was over. But this is one of those instances like it'd be nice to be able to get somebody on the horn lickety split and not the three-hour thing because that's the other post I heard about is, oh, my God, thanks for getting out of the Stone Age. Or, wow, companies would have done this six years ago when you launched this thing, not now. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I've waited three hours on the phone for somebody for a thing. And, uh, you know, that really, if you ask people about the customer service for Square Enix, it it's a sore sp- subject. It's, it's I, a very I'm sore subject. I'm one of the few people who apparently has had very good uh, – uh, I've had very good customer support from – them in and out of the game but mm. i've never done anything too hard right i've i've had to have i had one-time passwords quit working and so you just you know the hardest part is finding the right page to hit the right drop downs to get the right help that's the hard part and there's a guide out there on reddit or something is the one i used but uh or or some people we we have we have you know not free company members, but friends of the free company who have been like, but I am always at work during their hours. Well then, yeah, you're kind of screwed and I don't know what to tell you. I, <laughs> they need to expand, extend that. So maybe something like this would be helpful to get a little bit of help on your cell phone or something during the day. But I don't know. Have you had to, have you had to go ask them for help ever? I haven't, I haven't uh... even done... One time, I had to ask about my 1.0 uh, 
uh, titles. Oh yeah, yeah, you're. And I got I got some pushback the first time, and then but it was pretty quick. I respond. I think they they gave me some runaround, like send an mm-hmm. email, and then when I sent the email, they gave me back some comment that was like, "We don't have any record or something." So they made me do it. I guess they make you do it in game through the in game support. Oh, so I just typed this thing in game report. Mm-hmm. So I had to do it again, and my response was, "Yeah, look at my achievements." <laughs> like I had, like I think the deal was, I had the. I had the Dalamud horn, clearly. I had this stuff from the the thing I cleared, but they but they didn't have the achievement, so I didn't have the title. So oh, they, after the second yeah. pushback from like I gave them like, hey, y'all really need to fix this, they turned around and fixed it immediately. So it wasn't like I had a negative experience. I had to like wait a day and I felt like I was gonna have to prove my point and then in the end I didn't have to, they took care of it. That's nice. I also yeah. have known people who have really abused uh, supports on not this game specifically, but I know people who like have complained on other games. Oh, I didn't get my pre-order bonuses, and, and it's like rollout weekend, so that no one checks, and they just send them keys and whatever. So I can see where you might have to at least let you know a human review your case or something. But and I and I I do believe all the people who are like I you know this happened. The one that terrifies me are like the bank chargeback ones, and then they just shut you down. We, yeah, we that had a friend that was me. that was um, our our friend over at um, Musecast. Um, she had an issue with the um, credit card where her credit card canceled the payment. No, I'm not even sure if that's what it was. I think she bought two items in a row, and, and the credit was- card company flagged the second one as a. Uh, as a fraud because it was the same dollar amount. Like I think it was back when you could have to buy, buy but uh, uh, you, could, you couldn't do multiple things, things one at a card. time. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. had to buy things one at a time. It might have been a Fantasia or a die or something. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the fact of buying the same dollar amount back to back, the credit card company flagged it without calling her, and then uh, Square Enix got the notification of fraud, so they shut the whole account down. She had to fight for this thing back. It's terrible. Was that one of the ones that like the whole community had to make an uproar? There was like there a big Reddit post, and yeah, like, yeah, we had to get that. And that that's that's scary to me. It's just I could just lose everything for not even doing anything wrong. I guess. Mm. So, all right, we have a couple interviews. Gamescon Twinfinite interview is the first one. Uh, let's see. Uh, Final Fantasy fourteen interview, Nako Yoshida discusses the future of Square Enix's popular MMORPG. So they talk about how Shadowbringers has been recently released, and it seems to be a major success. Uh, they are talking to Yoshida and Nari Oda at Gamescon in Germany. So yay. They shared a few interesting de- details, including... Uh, breaking the barriers between data centers and Yoko Taro's involvement in the next raid, and when we're going to hear more about the restoration of Ishgard. So uh, the first question was, first of all, I'd like to ask you a question I'm sure is on the minds of many fans. How are you? Every time I see you, you seem a bit more tired. God, that makes me think of the dra- uh, the Doctor Who episode. Doesn't she look tired? Doesn't she look tired? <laughs> yes. Uh, Yoshi's like, you're right, I'm tired, but now that Shadowsbringers has launched, I feel quite relieved. So that's good. Question, can you give us some details from your point of view about the reception for Shadowbringers? 
Yoshi P says, I'm very happy about the results and the fact that Shadowbringers was received very well around the world. I'm hearing loud, cheering voices from all the fans, and it makes me very happy that the expansion is critically acclaimed as well. It's something I'd never expected nine years ago. Hmm. Neither did we, dude. Neither did we. Uh-uh. <laughs> All right, Giuseppe says, I did, I never left. Well, at least I had hope. On the other hand, has there been any Yoshida moment in the expansion, anything the players complained about that you're planning to fix? Yoshipi says, I didn't see many people shouting Yoshida this time. The servers kept working smoothly and people were focusing on the main story quest. There weren't big complaints. Good. Oda says, we certainly heard much louder complaints with Stormblood when people were blocked by Raban. <laughs> Yoshipi says, the only Yoshida moment I saw is when players were having some issues accessing a dungeon. Hmm. Was it I wonder which was... one. I didn't have any issues. I think there were queue problems because they, they had to bring down um, the instant servers a couple times throughout, I think. Uh. All right. The question. This is a question coming from personal experiences. experience. I'm going to show you something. Editor's note, I let Yoshida Sen take a look at my inventory and one of my retainers on the Final Fantasy XIV companion app on my smartphone. It's full of Alliance gear pieces from Gimlet Dark Dungeon. You probably recognize this. It's all Alliance gear from the Gimlet Dark. You may notice there are no fending pieces for tanks at all. I really like the way the gear looks, so I wanted a full set. So I did the dungeon about 40 times before Shadowbringers and didn't drop a single tank piece. Since for many players, glamours are the true endgame, I was wondering if you could implement something like a token system for leveling dungeons or maybe a mechanic that would let people return a number of unwanted pieces and receive one of their choice. Honestly, the game Dark is my favorite dungeon, and the music is absolutely fantastic, but grinding it so many times to try to get the gear I wanted made me hate it. I've heard this. <laughs> I've heard mm. this before. Uh, Yoshida says, The drop rate for dungeons will be adjusted with patch 5.1. Speaking of tokens, I honestly don't want to implement, implement more of them. If we made a single token type usable for all the dungeons, players would just find out what's the most efficient dungeon to farm, and they would do only that one. If we created a specific token for every dungeon, in that case, Oda-san would have to come up with different names for each, and that's going to be hard on him. On top of that, it would be problematic for inventory space. Rather than using tokens, we think that we should completely change the approach to dungeon drops. For instance, items might drop per player, and you may be able to choose an item of your choice. This is something we could look into. To give you a clearer explanation, it would be close to the coffer system implemented in the Eden Raid dungeon, but at the same time, that might cause you to have lots of boxes in your inventory, so that might be a problem. That being said, the drop rate for dungeons is imbalanced at the moment, and we want to change that for 5.1. Okay. See, the coffers wouldn't be any more of an inventory problem than getting a piece of gear you don't want. I suppose, but then it's one extra click because I have to open yeah, it. Yeah, have I, to uh... change job to whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the right answer to that. I've heard a lot of people kick around the ideas, and this is for other stuff, not this, mm-hmm. but, oh, we need more uh, currency tabs and Christ put that up. in currency. Yeah, oh, but it's... Like, like, a, like the virtual currency. Like, yeah, uh, like – like a beast tribe currency or something like that so we could save inventory space. I don't think it would necessarily work in this instance, but I see that kicked around a lot. And I think there's just a lot of ideas, but then a lot of inexperienced ideas are people that don't mm-hmm. understand how their their game is designed, the internal workings. So if it was just that easy to flip a switch and do that, I think they would have already done it. They're, I feel like they're cracking the code on some things. And I'm not sure, again, if it's in this interview or the other one or if it's in neither of them, but uh, I, I feel like they've, 
they feel like they've hit a spot where with like the server walls, you know, what's mm-hmm. keeping the data centers apart. They're coming to a spot where they they could be able to bridge all of that together, and these are the kind of things like I think if they were on the trail of doing something, they would have either already done it or they're still exploring options. To me, it sounds like they're still exploring options. But they hear us. Well, and absolutely. The, well, and one of the things I I know some people complain about it, but I actually like it when they release a crafted set that's a diable version of a dungeon set later or something. Because it lets you then go get that for glamours without having to run the dungeon. It's it's still another item then that you know in their item database, but I don't know. Right. I th- I think a coffer might not be. I mean, yeah, it gives you another step, but a coffer would probably be the easiest. I don't know. I don't know their code base, but we do not need more in- more items to clog up our inventory. I mean, maybe the bosses can drop a coffer, and the rest of the sporadic, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, is just whatever they are. All right, Oda, a question. Odasan, what is yours and the writing team's relationship with the 1.0 story? I don't mean the story added with the one dot whatever patch series, but strictly what was released in the Final Fantasy fourteen. Is it something you like to draw from, or is it something you find to be a limitation that at times you need to work around while creating new stories? Oda says, of course, the story from 1.0 affected me significantly, even if I wasn't part of the team that worked on the original 1.0 story. I joined the team after Yoshida-san took over. When 1.0 released, I was simply one of the players, and I also played other MMORPGs, which provided me with a lot of experience. I think memories from that time are important for all players. That's why, even though the story may affect us negatively at times, it would be no good to just ignore the player's memories of it. When we announced that we wanted to rebuild Final Fantasy XIV, that's something Yoshida-san tried hard to be mindful of, to avoid destroying those memories. Since I joined the team, I tried to gather information on what the original writing team that wrote that story wanted to do. I also researched all the information that hadn't been conveyed to players yet. Then I deconstructed it and picked the elements that we needed to bolster Yoshida-san's plan to destroy the world, setting them apart from what wasn't needed. While I was trying to preserve the memories of those players, I was also doing my best to tidy up the story. That's pretty cool. I know a lot of people, but you, we were both 1.0 players. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I know that there are a lot of people who are theorizing that, yeah, well, we'd be able to convert our characters over maybe, that the story wasn't going to be anything. Hmm. That the story, that it was they were just going to throw it all away. Now, that was before the servers went down and we watched that video and we're like, they're bridging it here. They're, they're not just going to throw away the old story. Right. Right. Do you ever wonder, though, what was some of the story points that they – because I know well, it's questions. Occasionally, I'm like, I what do, did they I really do, want to do? And I do, and some part of me thinks they had no clue. Part of me thinks that they had no idea other than like they were kicking around Titan and Leviathan. But I'm not sure how much of that – the Leviathan part would have been more Yoshida than it would have been Ooh. Tanaka. Of course, we have images of Titan, um, and we know why it wasn't because of the tsunami, uh, earthquake and tsunami. Um, but I really don't think there was a lot of substance there. I really don't think there was much to it until Yoshida took over. Um, and that story really wasn't going anywhere. Do you remember the story I did? I, I remember running out and killing like a, several Garleans on a path somewhere and you had to dodge things and it, and it just did not feel like well, it was well, anything. Well, and I, and I feel like I feel like a lot of the Asian storyline, I think some of that had to have been there already. Some of it was just kind of hand-waved away, too. 
Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, there were story points that did not make it through, I think. And I'm, there had to have been somewhere there was some story written. Well, I mean, even you to know, the... they had Ishgard there, but they never opened it for us. They had to well, have a story. Even to the tune of, I believe they retconned the, uh, that horn, okay? So you have in the 1.0 storylines... <gasps> yes, yes. Lore gods can come and correct me. And there is a page in the lore box. I see it from where I'm sitting, but Gal-Morin. I can't grab it. Is it the Gal... There's a there's a horn, and if you've done the especially, we just came off of this story about Thancred. If you remember the 1.0 story uh, of of Ulda, there is a parade, and a rogue Gubu gets out and kills Minfilia's father. But it's not necessarily that this thing got out, but that an Elizin blew a horn, and there was this the shit that went down with this horn. Mind you, there is also another story. I think it's Limsa's story mm-hmm. has to do with the horn as well. And I think the way that works, Yalta, I was confused. I thought there were two horns. But I think the way this works is that because Thancred's story is in the past, it's the same horn. But that it go it makes its way from Ulda mm-hmm. to Limsa. It, it come, well, it comes up in the story like three separate distinct places. Uh-huh. But instead of it being three horns, it might just be the same horn. Well, right. We were really confused. Well, this goes into that on, on the Echo. Yeah, we were super confused on, on that stuff. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with the Echo. But the lore book has a simple paragraph on a page about 1.0 stuff. And I feel like it's kind of retconned in some way mm-hmm. because, again, going back to this question – I think there are storylines that just really did kind of die, but people are always going to remember. Uh, Giuseppe, who's the the person conducting the interview here, I remember reading his stuff back in 1.0. This guy's been around for as long. He's legit. He's been around since the 1.0 days. And uh, people like us, like Fusion X, uh, people who, who are legacy – uh, are going to go, what happened with – you know, I remember that question came mm-hmm. out. What happened with the Heart of Sabic? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. we gotta Stuff talk we about that. Completely about, yeah, yep, yeah. I'm. I, some of me wonders if this stuff had stuff written up or not. In fact, I think this question has been I, that question had been asked to Koji Fox before, and he's like, I don't want to say what they wrote up because we might want to use that someday. Sure. So, it's also a very uh, diplomatic answer if there's nothing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, when you were working on tidying up the storyline, did you find it confusing as much as we did? Otis says, initially I saw the story of 1.0 as a player, and so I knew those issues needed to be rectified. One issue was the player had the power to see the past, but it wasn't clear on how it worked, so I toiled with the rest of the team to tidy everything up. And Yoshida said, back then I gave Otis-san up one piece of advice in case the interpretation of certain elements of the story by the players wasn't in line with what the original developers wanted. If we needed to strain things in order to make them understand accurately, we didn't really need to put too much effort into that. Even if we pushed, there was no guarantee the players would understand completely anyway. Rather than making it too complicated, we should simply stick to our decision to make things more accessible for players. For instance, even among the development team, there were moments the story... Moments in the story that happened 10 years before, but some of them interpreted that as happening in the present. That's why we needed to make sure everyone was on the same page. That's all that echo confusion. And Bingo. We, t- we talked about, I think we talked about this back in sequence break days. Right? I'm sure. I think it was like, did, was that supposed to have happened five years ago, 10 years ago, last yeah. week? Did that happen now? He is exactly talking about the Thancred mm-hmm. cutscene. He's talking about you see Acilia in the past. Warburton gets killed by the Gubu, but that cutscene happens ten years before. But other echoes 
don't happen that far in the past. Mm-hmm. When you when you Limsa's echo doesn't happen like that, and in fact, it's less of an echo. I, I'm not even. I don't remember all of Limsa's opening. I don't remember all of Gridania's mm-hmm. opening. But there's less. I feel like in those intros, there's less echo. In, in fact, in Limsa's, I do remember you look up in the sky as the meteors falling, right? Mm-hmm. And all of those, you know, Gridania and Olda have that, but. That feels more like what the Echo was supposed to be then as a foretelling of, of things in the future. And I think that's what confused me about Olda's story Olda's being so, 10 I, years in the yeah. past. Because well, I, I don't feel like – I remember the Gridanian opening because I did it a few times. But it really didn't – well, and it was also much harder to tell if you were seeing an Echo. Yes. Right? Yes. The screen did not change like it does today. Or it wasn't as easily perceptible to me. You got it sometimes, but then you didn't. And I think that was all another thing that was confusing about the uh, old uh, storyline. Because mm-hmm. you got it, and then you didn't. But, you know, that creepy music and the crackling stuff, you got that. You know, but but it was very confusing. Of, And then the name change. You know, did they really mean for Acilia to be mean Philia back then? Did they, did they really mean that, or is that something that they retconned? Uh, in well, to make that yeah. work. Well, yeah. Well, they've definitely retconned it now if it wasn't. They, oh, they, sure. It is now, it is now an ink. <laughs> in a virtual ink. So. All right. Giuseppe asked, well, personally, I think that all of that work paid off because I believe the current Final Fantasy XIV story is the best among all Final Fantasy games. Let's talk about one of the best elements of that story, Emmett Selk, who is probably one of the best villains every, every, ever. Everyone loves him. What inspired him and how do you go about creating him? Warning, the following answers include spoilers, blah, blah, blah. So please don't listen or read this. Uh, Odison said, the main scenario for Final Fantasy XIV 5.0 was handled by Nasuko Ishikawa, yet the Asians have been very enigmatic and mysterious. Players didn't really know what their goals are or what kind of people they are. That's why we thought best to give them, give the players opportunities to get close to them and understand them better as people. Yoshida says, before Stormblood, we thought there should have been a link between the Asians and Garameld, and we realized that everything made more sense if Garameld was actually a creation of the Asians. We had this ancient character, Emperor Solus, and we thought that using him worked in our favor, and that's the background of the inception of the Asian as they are now. Also, Emperor Varus has been experimenting when on, on clones in Garameld, and he was involved with Solus as well. Ishikawa-san wished to humanize the Asians and Amon Selk and to explore them as characters instead of leaving their vision unclear. The idea of Amon Selk drew inspiration from Jack Sparrow from the Pirates of the Caribbean series, with the goal of adding more human elements on top of that. He also kind of overlaps the image of Arden from Final Fantasy Fifteen, which is why we needed to work around so the characters didn't overlap too much. I don't know that character. Um, I'm trying to layer them on top of each other. There's a bit of the arm gesture thing, a little flamboyance with the way you know how Emmett Selk does the thing with his arm over mm. his head, waves oh, you off. I remember off. this guy. I had to. Google Arden him. has that. Yeah. He's got kind of the fedora and the scarf. Yeah, he kind of looks yeah. like the Fourth Doctor, but he's kind of got. He flails his arms and he does some things. And so I can see the mannerisms and that sly, like I'm talking out of the side of my mouth kind of mm-hmm. thing. But I think where they took Emmett Selk a little differently is they added a bit of that uh, kookiness to him. I also kind of feel worse for Emmett Selk than I did for Arden. Arden I do feel bad for because he's chained. 
uh, blah, blah, blah. But I I don't know. They are kind of similar in a lot of stuff. Like they're wronged and it's not their fault that they're wronged. Although the answer doesn't make it right or there, but their answer. Yeah. Their answer is kill everyone. (laughs) So yeah. Well, I feel like Emmett Salk almost feels like a different character. Even at the beginning of 5.0, I think that might be the writing. Cause we, we just kind of complained about him earlier. We're like soulless. Jesus Christ. Soulless was soulless. He just seemed (laughs) like, what is this fucking Kefka guy that they're just throwing in here? Kefka. Is yeah. how he felt. He was, yeah. All right. Gosepi uh, says, I don't, I know you can't talk too much about Yorha, Dark, Dark Apocalypse Raid, because it's getting revealed at the Tokyo Game Show. But how involved is Yokotaro and what is his role precisely? Yoshida says, Yokotaro is playing a really big role for Yorha, Dark Apocalypse. His role is related to the overall aspect of the creation, like the script and coming up with content ideas. Oda says the same goes for selecting the kind of boss enemies that will appear in the raid, and he's reviewing the soundtrack as well. Yoshida says he also selected what kind of characters he wants to bring from the near world to Final Fantasy XIV, and that means you can expect the experience, appearance of near characters, so you can look forward to that. Sweet. I, I'm yes. <laughs> well, you've played some. A no. some. I don't have any like standout mega ca- Pascal. I've met. I've Pascal, met the robot yes, Pascal. Pascal. Would be amazing, and I loved a lot of the music so far, as far as I've seen. A lot of. Not every character has really. Oh, you're you're not. I can't say anything because yeah, you haven't exactly. met them yet. Well, sh- <laughs> shut up. You haven't met them yet. Right. But Pascal, for sure, I would be fun to see because that. And mind you, we got three twenty-four man raids to fill this up with. I. I have the DLC, you know, but I mm-hmm. mean, the DLC is what? It's, it ain't enough that you're like, it's a whole nother game, you know? So it's like, what I'm saying is you gotta use one game to fill up bosses. three 24 man raids. I hope they have enough. They probably do, but mm-hmm. I, if the, if it is something you gotta spread out, I would think every key NPC would probably have some kind of appearance. Well, and as far as I've played, there's not that many key NPCs yet. I mean, I probably mm-hmm. can count them on one hand. So I don't think we're going to have, I hope, that, and that's where I had a little trouble, I think, following the last set of 24 Mans, is there were so many characters. Sure. I, and, and then you went months between them, and then some of the characters were actually ghosts of the bosses, or whatever the fuck it ended up actually being. It was very confusing. It was fun to meld the two games, mm-hmm. but if you did not clearly understand what was from what universe, it's a hodgepodge of fuck. Uh, I can understand being confused of, you know, one character from Tactics is doing something from 12 and we're suddenly in, you know, like the, I think it's the first one where you're you're in 12 – and then you fall in a crack, and now you're in tactics. Mm-hmm. And that's how quickly things changed in that 24-man ride. <laughs> it was very, very confusing as someone who didn't have a, a background, a strong background on either. So, Ooh, this next question is one I'm interested in. Gosepi says, let's talk about the restoration of Ishgard. When do you think we'll be able to hear more about that? Yoshi P said, we'll have a live letter from the producer live at Tokyo Game Show featuring patch 5.1. That will be part one. We also have plans of another live letter before the patch of 5.1, and that will be part two. We're still in the process of deciding which one we'll use to provide information of the restoration of Ishgard. Now, we just read what they plan on covering, and this was not mentioned, right? 
right? They right. just talked about what was in Live Letter. So anyway, yeah. uh, we have a big plan to overhaul Disciples of the Hand and Disciples of the Land in Patch 5.1 and 5.2. Since this change will be significant, we're mulling on when to talk about Ishgard. We think it'll be beneficial for the players to know about the changes for crafters and gatherers first and foremost, so we'll likely focus on this at Tokyo Game Show and the restoration of Ishgard in Live Letter Part 2. The good news about the restoration of Ishgard is you can contribute even if you aren't a high-level crafter and gatherer. You can also use that chance to level your crafting and gathering classes up. This is an answer I was hoping to hear. Now I'm going to probably be all leveled up by then. But the way the way they had spoke earlier sounded almost like this was going to be end game only crafters mm-hmm. and gatherers. And then he goes on to say the restoration of Ishgard will include high end recipes for crafters and a leaderboard board which will display your name, recording your achievement for other people to see. The feature will be upgraded over the course of the five point X series, so I'll definitely talk about more it more at a later time. Right, so what were, what are you expecting? What were you expecting that you feel like you're not getting out of this paragraph? Was no. there something? No, no, I'm I'm good with that. I what I what I earlier they had just talked about a leaderboard. They talked about basically like they talked about like PVP like seasons for the crafting leaderboard uh-huh. and stuff. And I was like, well, what if I'm not an awesome at crafting? I'm hoping that I can still get something out of this. This will be content. This isn't just going to be like ultimate for crafters. I, I got you. Okay. Hand in yeah. Yeah. Well, so I mean, don't we all hope that the end of this means we get Ishgardian housing, right? Like <laughs> something, yeah, something like that. I mean, I don't know, and I don't know how that would work because, you know, you can say that, but what if a server decided they completely weren't going to do it? Are you still going? <laughs> you're you're not right. going to give them Ishgardian housing? It's, just, no. it's you know, it wouldn't work that way. The itinerant Mughals were always like, if Buckaroo Bob can stay on the horse for 12 Atma, but if he doesn't get it, you won't get your earrings. Well, we we always get the fucking earrings. Everybody will get Ishgardian housing. I'd I'd like to hear more about that, but they'll they'll keep us carroting on the stick for that forever until we get closer to 6.0. I picture this as like almost like the triple triad board. Hopefully it's better than that (laughs) where you've got – you know, maybe it's – you know how like when you make your your craftable, your turn in items, and and it gives you like the score of whatever. Well, maybe there'll be some variances in the score, and the score means that, or the number of times. I I don't know how you quantify it. I'll wait and see. Uh, it could be interesting. It, it I don't. I'm 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 trying to be well, hopeful about it. Well, and the whole thing is called restoration of Ishgard. Is it going to change visually if, if you? participate is it going to change visually if you don't participate i think that is is? the answer that if you don't participate it's it's going to no i think it's going to i think it will regardless of whatever because i think it'll change with the patch so we we need to convince an entire server just to not participate so we can see (laughs) just to see what happens i mean i guess potentially you could have it where it doesn't upgrade for a person visually but does that mean they won't get certain amenities have we advanced to that in this game that an individual character that hasn't unlocked something might not see the npc that shows up and so we we have only seen that so far in the the weekly turn-ins to that person's donation basket right you if you go in there and you haven't done that you don't get the npc that sells you something i mean then they could be onto something that is like more like dome and enclave 
and where if you're not doing the turn but i would think yelta it's more of a server based thing right because it it doesn't seem fair that everybody would have to craft in in order to see ishgard they're still playing coy about whether the housing's even in ishgard aren't they well, yes. I nobody's you know. nobody's said we're getting housing in Ishgard. Nobody. I'm said that. I'm not going to be surprised if we don't see housing in Ishgard. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if this was just an expansion and the Dolmen Enclave was the uh, test. We were this not going to get housing on the first a... either because I think they're going to no. fuck up the first in some way. But whatever. <laughs> well, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, in the first, I, I can't even guess. I guess I can't even yeah. guess, but uh, I I kind of I'm, I'm I'm excited for the restoration of Ishgar, but I'm 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 either worried it's going to be some sort of extreme battle to you know get, but it won't be you know they, everything's all accessible in this game. So other than my name not being on the triple triad, I mean the uh, crafting board. Is it just going to be a weekly thing I do alongside with custom deliveries? Is it just going to be custom deliveries? I think I don't so. Know. I don't know. <sighs> anyway, so we'll see what happens. I, I am. I'm both excited and like worried that it's not going to be interesting. diadem Hamlets. Come on, diadem. I see. A lot of people didn't like Hamlets, but I did. But I, would they do it the same way? Even if they did Hamlets today, would they do it the same way? Emergency mission diadem <laughs> Hamlets. <laughs> I'm writing that down. That's Craft a good podcast now. title. Emergency mission. I don't have this. We get all the hate. All right. Giuseppe says, when we talked two or three years ago, you mentioned that the ultimate plan was to do away with the barriers between data senders and let everyone visit all servers. Are you still working on it? Yoshida says, we want players to be able to play with everyone, regardless of the server they're on with the world visit system. Right now, everyone can play together on with other players on the same data center, but it's really difficult to break the barrier between data centers. We're having a long and hard discussions internally on how to make it possible from an engineering point of view. We're working on it, but we can't just magically make it happen instantly. While it isn't guaranteed it'll work, we have some ideas on how to make this magic happen. We're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and we'd like you to wait for more. So... There, there's more talk here about data centers. There's a John Madden flowchart. <laughs> <laughs> this is for Yoshida's own flowchart. First, yeah. first, I want to say, uh, Yoshida said hard and long. Uh, <laughs> but uh, also, yes, he drew this flowchart, this beautiful chart of how they can break the walls down. But the fact of the matter is this man wants to break the barriers down between the data centers how are we gonna shit on the crystal data center if we can't yeah 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 Uh, yeah, i've been seeing this shit floating around a lot lately people say shit about stuff all the time yeah yeah yeah. well people thought primal was a bunch of elitist assholes and and then well, well we had, apparently uh, we're not as good as Aether, but well, yeah. a pr- well, Primal had this thing where we were either too hardcore or not hardcore enough, and there was like a mass exodus, right? And you know, to Aether. suck. So you know, there, people say shit about all sorts of stuff. It becomes a meme. No one means it. people still pat my head because I'm a Lalafell. I could get mad. Or I, I got slapped in a dungeon. I didn't rage quit, but I got slapped in a dungeon. Well, he did. He rescued. I think he rescued the wrong guy. I always get mad when I get uh, rescued. I it, my my wife could rescue me, and I get pissed. I hate being rescued. So now everybody's going to rescue me when they see me in a dungeon. Uh, but um, yes, I'm putting it on my bar. Mm, no, I hate it when I'm you do it too, it. Yelta. 
Unless you save my ass. If you save my ass, it's different. It's never to save my ass. It's always some kind of. I'm going to risk you right off the edge as a jump. Good. Do it. And we'll yell Geronimo together. Um, So I got rescued, but I think the guy, because he rescued me out of nothing into Mm -hmm. nothing, and the dragoon got hit. I think he. I think he missed, I think he missed his rescue target. Yeah, I uh, hit the wrong person before. So I didn't get mad, but his rescue macro has slap in. It's like sla- oh. slash slap get over here or something. Oh, and I, but similar topic, I am so over the asshole raise macros. You know what? Sometimes you die, sometimes you make a <laughs> mistake. Whatever. I don't want to hear It's so toxic. Dear Yelta Sumasu, you have wasted how many MP? <laughs> Please get good. You know, I've seen. I've, there's no reason for that. You need to do that, Yelta. Where is your fucking dance macros? Where are those? I with with say. No, you have to do. Show use yell, shout, and say. Please. And sound effects and party. With sugar oh, on top. My, with sugar on top. Oh my god! Maybe an emote. A couple extra. <laughs> I don't know. I just I just get really tired of you know doing like Eden for normal. When you know new people die in there, and they, and, you know, sometimes they die a couple times, and it's like, why are you using this macro? That's such an asshole macro. Don't mm. be assholes. Anyway, they're trying to link the logical data centers and blah blah blah, and it's not easy. They can't just flip a switch and do it. Apparently, they need something powerful like the Heidland Kick, whatever that means. Okay. Sounds cool. Uh, all right, Gustave says, there's one thing I'm missing from the 1.0 version of the game, and that's the inverse kinematics. Okay, guys, I'm just too long, didn't read this whole section. Ah, all it okay. says is, can we have the 1.0 uh, like, where we run and it makes us, like, slide and all that shit? Because yeah. it was cool, but it was also, it like... Was visually awesome. A bunch of fucking polygons. You remember the meme with how many polygons well, are in the, the jar one, or whatever? The one, the, pot. Ba- the one flower basket outside yeah. of the... Yeah. Avengers yeah, Guild. ridiculous. And Yoshida says, hell no, we ain't going back to that era. The end. It, it ain't going to work. Well, and I, I do sometimes miss not even so much the that it would tilt me up or down and, you know, your ankles and everything would move like it was. That doesn't work so good in an MMO because it has to try to, like, calculate it and send it out to everyone who might see your character. I miss a little bit the, if I'm running full bore and then I stop, some of my stuff would, like, swing oh the physics the were great yeah. yeah yeah but but the end of the day no and we don't need it yeah it was great in a demo it's great in what you know you want to show something off at e3 20 2009 you know that's that's great but it's it's not working for uh for 1.0 it didn't work and we got a best thing and you know it makes me mad i read this last bit where he's like you know we had to keep the promise for the ps3 version and it's it's that shit that that holds us back from the stuff we have today. I think the inventory space, the server things, uh, technical issues. It's for trying to make this game work on PS3. PS3 limitations is a real thing. PS2 limitations, right? PS2. PS2. Uh, it's just going to be flashbacks from 11. Yeah. That and we're all playing – a lot of us are playing WoW Classic right now and, and that didn't have those – Please do stuff. not release 1.0 Classic for God's sake. If you're going to do it, 1.18 or 1.23. 1.23. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> Even Giuseppe is like, I liked 1.0 more than most but, but... – yeah, he, he does not want to go back to the era of that. Anyway – 
that was pretty much it. Uh, there's some links and reviews and whatever and an interesting story from the 1.1 world ending to celebrate the sixth anniversary launch of Realm Reborn. So that was a that was a nice nice interview there. We'll link it yeah. on the site. We'll link it. Yeah, uh, PAX West Gamer Escape had an interview. I always enjoy Gamer Escape interviews. Uh, this was with Final Fantasy XIV's uh, uh, Natsuko Ishikawa and Taiko Suzuki. And those are uh, main scenario writer Ishikawa and art team lead Suzuki. So Ishikawa, even though I think the picture is backwards, Ishikawa is our lady on She's the, the right. She's the female. Yep, uh-huh. yep, yep. And then uh, Suzuki is the gentleman here in the orange jacket on the left. If you're on Gamerscape site yeah. looking yeah, don't, at the Don't picture. get confused. <laughs> it sounds like she's a delight, by the way. People have met her at stuff, and she's posed for pictures, and she's just been adorable. Yeah, I think she's loving this attention, not in a vain way, but, you know, it's good to see she, her be she recognized. It. Well, she's written, she's written so much of the stuff the players have just completely become enamored of yeah if you love it she wrote it (laughs) pretty much that would be a good title too (laughs) but uh yeah all right let's go on to the uh uh interview gamer escape says the downside of talking before the panel is i don't know what you're presenting i was wondering if you could briefly talk about some of the things you worked on for final fantasy 14 shatterbringers Suzuki says, I am the design and art lead for Shadowbringers, primarily working on character designs, background designs, cutscene design. I supervise those. Ishikawa said, I handled the main scenario narrative for Shadowbringers, as well as working with the design team for the requests they made for graphical assets, as well as a sound team for background music requests, and also deciding on when those items would be used throughout the narrative. By the way, I just want to say... uh, I'm not the only person, I think, and you and I aren't the only people who have mentioned that some of the cutscene design, some of the way the cutscenes were shot or, mm-hmm. or whatever, just have been, it seems like, e- even better. Than I'm, not a, I'm not a film person, mm-hmm. so I can't really tell you things like when I see bad edits versus good edits. Mm-hmm. I just know when something pleased me, and I can't really tell you why, but it was very pleasing. The thing, like the scene with Emmett Selk, and he shifts his eyes from left to right, and he looks red. <laughs> that, those things still stand out to me. Um, I, I thought it was very well cut. I guess if you could say that, I guess they are like bit like movies. Well, yeah, they're like you movies. Know? Yeah. So it's got yeah. All right. Um. Gamerscape, what are some of your favorite things you worked on for this expansion? Ishikawa says, there were so many things to work on throughout the expansion, so each one of them has a heavy weight. Suzuki says, within the expansion, we have many elements that go into it, but from a design perspective, especially character design, we were able to introduce new races, so that's something I was excited about. Gamerscape, with regards to the character design, we have new wardrobes for the characters, and they're more usual... They're and they're usual more original. Oh, they're usually more original, but Thancred, for example, just uses the gunbreaker armor. What's the reason for that? Ishikawa says, from a realistic perspective, with the science, of course, they're part of the elements that bring life to the story and sort of bring in some additional color to your adventures. Their wardrobe has been updated for the expansion, but we also introduced new characters like the Crystal Exarch and, of course, M itself played a large part as well, and they were a completely original design. 
Realistically speaking, the development resources we could allocate for the designs of these characters were limited. That being said, for Thancred, Urien J, and Yishtola, because they drastically changed their jobs, you wanted to visually represent that they switched over their jobs. So we took inspiration from the AF gear and sort of modified it. I have no, I have no complaints on any of those. Me I thought I, I liked that we could tell what class they were in on the first. All right, Gamerscape. When starting Shadowbringers, early on in the story has a branch. You can either do go to Amarang and visit Alizé or go to Kaluza and visit visit Elthano. Did that option to choose provide any narrative challenges? Ishikawa says, we designed, decided to have an option to go either way so we can prevent bottlenecking. So we would have the players decide where they wanted to go and not gather just in one spot. We didn't want to guide our players by saying, well, typically I think players would go and join up with Alize or Alphano. We wanted the players themselves to make that decision instead of holding their hand. We made sure that both options are viable and that not leaning towards one or another. Gamerscape says it worked really well. I remember the issues with Raban and Stormblood, so I thought that was a good choice. Ishikawa says, thank you. Now, we've I, had... Wow. Our, what? I didn't even think that about the bottleneck when, when we had the choice. Not one time did it cross my mind that the reason we had a split story was to avoid Raban EX. I just thought it was cool to be able to choose which twin you wanted to start with. Well, and we actually had that choice in Stormblood, too, which set of quests to go do first. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as obvious, though, but you still got bottlenecked by Raban. Mm -hmm. So I think really that has more to do with the fact, I think the Raban bottlenecking fix has, and Pablo, but also, not, what's his name? Anyway, has more to do with the changes they made to instance queuing versus the NPC over and over again. Uh, this made it more. This made it more interesting, though. You had a twin; you could decide who to go follow. I I feel one way about which twin it makes more sense in the narrative to follow, but in the end, it, other people disagree. And I I think either is probably valid. Well, who do I you like think? Seeing, I I went to see Alize first, mm-hmm. and I think that made the Alphano section more dramatic or more. You knew what a Sin Eater was by the time you went and found Alphano. Mm-hmm. I did the opposite, and it was just really a gut feeling because I had not seen Alphano in so long, at least awake mm-hmm. and alive. I wanted to see him first more of a, uh, uh, to reunite with him. Um, as far as the narrative went, no, I had not seen much of the Sin Eaters or knew much about the Sin Eaters at that point. But I still was I, – I still enjoyed the story. I knew something was wrong. I knew I felt something mm-hmm. was off with it. And then to go straight from Alizé's crazy cutscene where the woman changes yeah. and then pretty much go into the dungeon fight after that, it was still fresh in my mind. So, But I could see the benefit of both ways. Yeah. Well, and I found that knowing that Sin Eaters were people – basically that made that not even so much just Alphano's storyline. I actually followed Alphano's first, but then I like got distracted and went back and did uh, Alize's first before I actually got very far. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hadn't gotten very far. I basically oh, I gotcha. like wandered over there and then I hit. Oh, cause you can pick them someone. both up at the same time. Yes. Yeah. You can pick them both up. So not even doing the Alphano storyline, but doing a side quest or finding an NPC where, that little songbird girl is talking about how she lost her voice and her patron's like, well, then we're going to push for your ascension earlier or whatever. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I know what this is. Yeah. I don't know if it would have clicked as well what was really going on. 
But I, I know people who have done it the other way around. They're like, you know, but it made sense to do the other way. Which is cool. All right. Gamerscape. When traveling to the first, the one thing I enjoyed was seeing a lot of the similar similarities to zones that we have on the source. What was it like creating the first and deciding where to add these pieces of familiarity? Suzuki said, if everything was one-to-one mirror between the source and the first, it would have been easy from a design and lore perspective because these worlds were split into shards a long, long time ago. We do want to, of course, pay tribute to the original one, but with any of the landscapes from the plains to the forests to the beaches, we wanted to introduce different elements. It wasn't about where do we bring in familiar elements, but the base is in the original. And then where do we incorporate the different elements? That's how the design team looked at it. Ishikawa said, from a lore perspective as well, the base terrain would have been the same between the source and the first, but they have a different history. Plus, the first, we never really had a calamity. So some of the areas affected by the source, by the calamities, may not apply to the areas in the first, and that's thinking, that's the thinking that the scenario team had. So our concept was also looking at the history of the source throughout a realm of born in the heaven's word, and then we thought about how it would differ if the first had taken a different path in history. Hmm. And that's kind of, I, I, I kind of was uh, laughing a little bit because they, 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 they outright said it with some of the ruins. They're in, in the game. They're like, why aren't these ruins here? And someone's like, well, because the calamity destroyed them. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I was listening to like other players that were uh, at the first and they're like, oh, this is where that mob g- comes from for whatever. And I'm like, but really. The mobs probably existed on both at the say on the source, and then it was split, and they just have been wiped out on on the source. Yeah, yeah. Migration patterns have been killed. Some other disaster, not an actual calamity, you know. But or, or mm-hmm. but the ones for the source, yes, a calamity could have wiped out a whole species or something, you know. Yeah, think of the, think of the dinosaurs. Twice. Yeah, <laughs> but but it's only twelve thousand years. Oh, I say only, right. but it's not like long enough for entire new branches of. But then again, there are beast tribes that don't exist on the first. Well, there, there is. I believe right? there is some evolution. I mean, you can't, you know, it's magic. Suspend well, yeah, animation. There's, there's some. There's or some, ma- imagination. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, but there, there's going to be some variances and things, you know, so, so some adaptation or if you will. But, uh, yeah, I, I think you also going to have some drastic differences based on the calamities. And it's kind of neat that they went backwards there. You kind of have to do work backwards from this, this, you know, sixth umbral and, and just continue to go back. Well, there's some that we, we know that what they, what element they are, mm-hmm. but we don't have any history of what the actual calamity. Tell me what the second calamity is. I mean, no, it was I, fucking I can't remember which is. ones are which for you sure. You know, we know but, what the but, third one is. We know what the fifth one is. But there are no Excel on the first. That's because they were created on the source. Hey, oh. Hey, oh, right? Yeah, so then I go and look, and then I'm like, but there are beast tribes that we have on the source that still exist. So they, those must have been natural beast tribes. Sure. You know, it's just very, very interesting. Yoshi P even told us that the Crystal Tower didn't exist on the first. So why is it That's there? Right. Blah, blah, blah. Which means that, you know. Well, it the means Alligans there were no Alligans. Create, yeah, right. the Alligans didn't create all these. You know, the Alligans created stuff. You talk about creation magic, but the Alligans created stuff that wasn't creation magic. It was, right. you know, we have entire dungeons that have things in jars that are like 
stuff they're creating, and those do not exist on the first. Anyway, uh, Gamerscape. I thought it was interesting to see some things. From example, the Rectique, a great wood. You have a group you stroll is with, and it kind of reminded me of Gelmora from The Source. Was that intentional? Ishikawa says, you have a really keen eye. When the development team was creating some of the dungeon areas for Shadowbringers, the ruins you travel through in that area amongst the developers, we kept calling it the Gelmora Dungeon. So yes, good observation there. Gamerscape says, I also thought it was interesting in Ilmeg, which is the first version of Corinthus. I didn't even realize that, by the way. Didn't even think about it. Uh, the first version of Corthus, where we had the Dragon Song War. But with Ilmeg, man isn't there anymore, and everyone's talking about how much they miss man and how great man was. Ishikawa says, it's interesting you say that, because yes, with Heaven's Word, it was depicting a narrative about how man and dragon were at odds with each other, but in the end, they came to terms with each other. With the first, when you get to Ilmeg, which is the feeling of Corthus, the resolution was that man is completely gone. There's some intent in that scenario team did have in taking the history in that direction. Gamerscape. Suzuki-san, out of all of the different designs in Shadowbringers, I was wondering if you had any favorite characters or armor sets. Suzuki says, with the introduction of the new race, the character designs were really cool, especially for the Rothgar. They're very beast-like, not humanoid. And it was an interesting experience to be able to create something so different because it was the first time we had taken on that challenge. Unlike the Aura from the previous expansion, which we weren't a- we weren't able to incorporate into the game as much in terms of narrative. With the Rothgar, we were able to work on it quickly and bring it to Ishikawa-san and the scenario team to have it incorporated into the narrative as well. Not just as a playable character, but as part of the story we're telling, and that was really cool. So, of course, we can be incorporated into the gameplay experience. The art team had to work on it pretty early on. But we worked on creating the Rothgar race throughout development. So that's another reason why I have an attachment for it. Gamerscape, on the other side of things, what are your favorite areas from the expansion? Suzuki says, in terms of areas, of course Ilmeg, something that's very unique that was one of my favorites, as well as the final zone in Shadowbringers. Creating the first overall was fun, but with the final zone, we wanted to bring an element of surprise and have it be different from the rest of the experience. Seeing it in its final form and being able to confirm how it turned out was a great feeling. We believe that we tried to do what the design was a success. All right, Gamer Escape had questions about the Tempest and Amorot. It was my favorite part of the expansion. It makes us feel sympathetic with the Asians. What was it like coming up with a story there? What was it like establishing the look for the city and the inhabitants? Ishikawa says, sorry, we're talking about that the pa- that on the panel on Sunday. Uh, Gamerscape, uh, Amrod had references to literary pieces of work, such as Thomas More's Utopia or William Shakespeare's The Tempest. I'm curious whether there were other looks, other works you looked at and drew inspiration from. Ishikawa said, so with the naming, of course, the scenario team and the lore team worked together, and the lore team could establish the names of the different areas. In the discussion between myself and the lore team, we thought about how to describe the area of Amarat and the capital and what it's supposed to be representing. We thought about this sort of utopia-type place where no one had to labor, but everyone was still happy. Of course, Ilmore has its own version of what their utopia is, but Amarat would be a different from that philosophy. Different from that philosophy. While we were thinking about how Amarat is more about a complete society, what kind of wording could we use to describe that? That's when we did look at Thomas More's Utopia and decided that Amrat would be an appropriate name. 
Gamerscape. Okay. One, yeah, <laughs> Gamerscape says, <laughs> one of the bigger elements in Shadowbringers is the Crystal Exert. When did you decide that you would bring back Grahatira? Ishikawa said, we definitely had the idea by the time we got to writing the narrative for Shadowbringers. Of course, when we first introduced the Crystal Tower series, the conclusion it had, the team did have the feelings of, oh, we'd love to have him come back someday, sometime. And we still hadn't pinpointed when we wanted to introduce him back. Those two ideas, and when Yoshida brought up the idea of Shadowbringers, we were trying to decide on the story and the central gimmick of what we wanted to take the narrative. I felt it would be, I felt it would click to have him come back, and that was the appropriate time. All right, Gamerscape, the design of the crystal exarch is interesting. Like how he's got that crystallized hand, what was the process of designing him? Ishikawa says, with designing the crystal exarch, I wanted to make sure we laid out how we got to where he is in the story. So when I made a request, I explained he would have to become one with the crystal tower, and so parts of his body were starting to crystallize. When we were trying to decide what parts of his body were starting to crystallize, we remembered that he had tattoos on his neck and part of his hands. So we wanted to make sure we hid those parts. Suzuki said, with the background established, the concept art design is requested and the rough draft is created. And that concept goes to my team and the 3D team where we build the character model. By the time the order came to the 3D modeling team, the image was already fairly established, so there wasn't much trouble bringing that to life. That said, there was a request from Ishikawa-san that we wanted to hide his face, and that was a challenge. So the face was sort of darkened on purpose. Typically with a 3D model, we just wanted to use lighting to show highlights and shadows, but with the Exarch, we were purposely darkened his face so he was unrecognizable. Gamer Escape. It's interesting you mentioned him because him becoming one with the Crystal Tower. My first thought when we saw the Exarch was of Nero in the world of darkness, where Nero looks crystallized. I I thought that too, honestly. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Nero was turned into crystal. Mm-hmm. Ishikawa said, the reason why Nero started to crystallize versus the Exarch was technically different, but it was an element we wanted to bring the players' attention to, notice the commonality between them being affected by the Crystal Tower, and the feeling of nostalgia of, oh yeah, I remember that happening that before. Gamerscape with Shadowbringers and a lot of the cutscenes, the expressions of the characters feel like they've been proved. How much work went into that? Uh, there's a lot of talk here about lighting and day-night cycles and the fact that they could kind of pick, they could use daylight all the time because the first was bright. That well, makes it really, easy. Yeah, it makes it easier. <laughs> so the, the, the they, they, could, they could do the lighting to hit the characters properly and they could basically freeze time. Right, so now of course, when you uh bring the darkness back, they lost the ability to do that. All right, gamer escapes as Yoshida Sun has written in his Famitsu art columns about how the graphics pipeline is older and how the team has to use tricks to make it look better. I was curious if you could talk about that, what makes it look less dated. And they talk about doing some manual efforts. Suzuki talks about a granular example, but if a character has a hood they can put on and take off. With modern technology, it's not difficult, but doing it in real time is challenging in 14. The graphics team would have to do a hood on and a hood off and then, and then you know, something to make it look natural and seamless. And another example is the Crystal Exarch with having the darkened face. It's low-tech 
It's something they utilize that would sort of blend in and make sense in the environment. There's a lot of manual things they do to tweak the presentation. Ishikawa said a lot of the developers have been around for a long time, so it's a very traditional way of looking at it. Seeing how we can overcome an obstacle means that we have. So a lot of times, uh, Suzuki says, a lot of times the developers will come up with ideas in the visual presentation and show to people like me, rather than the top-down instructions saying, I want it that way. That's always fun when the, you know, the, the team will be like, hey, we can make it do this. And they're like, all right, do it. So there's something to this that you get with – I'll give a modern example. It would be like the new Dark Crystal series on mm-hmm. Netflix. But I also think of video game musicians that are limited by their medium. And this could be in any medium uh, or any art but when you're limited by your medium, sometimes it, it gives you more creativity to know where your limitations are uh, because you have to, you have to get creative with the element. When you only have four channels to make music, sometimes you do some creative things and you get some really cool chip tunes, right? So uh, in this case, I think because of the limitations, you get – Almost an old school effect is what they're saying. You know, we have people who have been around for a long time, so we know how to make tricks to visually make things good, which is, I think we would do akin to something like the Dark Crystal using real time puppets instead of CGI. You know, there could be other ways to make things work, but it's kind of nice that 14 has to use these tricks. They have to kind of go low budget, I guess, in a way. To uh, to make things to make things work because this is an indie company. Uh, it's a small indie company. Small yeah. indie please, company. Please be patient. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see. Oh, uh, the last question is maybe my favorite one. What was the inspiration between the Great Serpent of Ronka quests? One of my favorites. Scree Scree is a meme Scree. at this point. People are making stuffed animals of the Great Serpent of Ronka. People are... It's just, just so much. Ishikawa says, that's actually a pet project of one of the scenario writers. Of course, we have the scenario and lore teams. But one of our new members that just joined us has and I had that idea, and she kept pitching it multiple times. She worked on several drafts after being rejected several times. And we feel we're not worthy to speak on her behalf about it, but it's her pet project for sure. Gamer Skip says it's been quite popular, and Ishikawa said we'll make sure to let her know. Do they not know? Uh, okay, so there's two things that came to light to me anyway. Is the Great Serpent of Ranka is amazing, even though it's a tiny part of the storyline. I know the first time I saw that little dude, I'm like, there better be a minion. Mm-hmm. I even like went and looked it up because I'm like, there better be a minion. He's fucking adorable. So Twitter is completely full of knitted serpents of Ranka and like you know, keychain fobs of the circuit, circuit oh, yeah. Branca, everything. And on the other is like, everybody's apparently horny for Emmett Selk and the crystal X art. It, it gets uh, a little yeah. bit not safe for work on Twitter. Some hours. I honestly like you shouldn't, you shouldn't go to Reddit at work. Probably not a good idea, <laughs> no. but I do sometimes, but I make sure not to click any blurred out picture. Cause I'm just always afraid that I'm going to see a crystallized weenie or something, you know? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, just not at work. I, I can't look at that at work. I'll get fired. Just don't, don't do that at work. But yeah, I, I hope they know how much we love some of the stuff that I think they probably thought was just like a side story throwaway character. We've got people writing fucking fan fiction on it, you know? 
Oh, I'm the sure. Fact, the There's fact that that, that uh, fate, well, you know that fate that pops, that's a giant serpent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the, the area is called Scree. Yep, that is correct. Well, this did not. Yeah. I mean, they're memeing it in the and, same expansion that they released the character. They know. <laughs> All right, that was long. Oof. Uh, let's see. We do have a what's on tap. We have a blog, Final Fantasy fourteen at Gamescom 2019. I saw a lot of good stuff come out of this. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot, a lot of Twitter action activity, a lot of other social stuff. Uh, the blog post goes, Hello, adventurers. We traveled far and wide to bring the spirit of Final Fantasy fourteen and Shadowbringers to Gamescom 2019 back in London. Back in London, I'm excited to report on our time in Cologne, Germany. We've got a video. We've got lots of screenshots of the booth. This looked like a really, <laughs> a really, I know that fight, a, re- a really cool, you know, I'm now looking at this, these actual photographs and do you remember the little drawing we saw of the floor at the time? I see what they were going for here. Mm-hmm. So looks like they had some fights. Looks like they had newest Predator hardware from Acer. I've had some Acers. They've served me well. Apparently, Titania and Innocent were not easy to beat. Uh. Hmm. Looks pretty well attended. They had a battle challenge. Oh, they had a wheel. I See, I like the wheel. I thought the wheel was cool yeah. when we experienced it. I, I think they should incorporate this in-game. I, I, I saw a post... And maybe it was Frosty. I don't remember who it was. They asked, like, hey, how would you spice something up? I think they should uh, I think they should put this wheel in there. I think it was in relation to the itinerant Moogles. Like, I wish that you could do, a like, a spicy roulette and get the itinerant Moogle tomes. Like, yeah, mm, we need another currency, just, Ruby. So, but, well, yeah. but, well, but those exist now, right? Yeah. They only take up one slot. But, uh, I mean, we do have our roulettes, our daily roulettes. But there, there could be something fun incorporated where... Especially if you had like a pre-made, not just a queue. You like something for like a dungeon where you spin yeah. the wheel, or you do you it get... in a raid. You know, you, not a raid in the map. You know how the map has the spinny yep, wheel the that maps. you can do. Yep. Yeah. So give, give us an arena, uh, an arena that does that, and then like it has Final Fantasy VII has that the battle arena, the little slots at the bottom that you know people oh, people have asked about that before. Okay. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Uh, we already want new content. Clearly. <laughs> Well, some of us have been like, other than raiding and capping, I'm kind of done now. Yeah. I've done a lot of leveling. It is, it is starting to level off. Uh, you know, I'll log in. Maybe there's two or three people on in the free company. It does get, you know, people start they, logging they in at really, nine o'clock or whatever, but. I log, I had, I don't remember. I was home one day. I think I was sick. And I logged on at like 840 or something. And there's like two people on. Nothing in the party finder, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this game is dead. And I stayed on doing, like, gold sauce or shit and whatever. All of a sudden, it hit, like, 9.08, and there were 12 of us on. And the the party finder was just, like, full. There was, like, Mm -hmm. 94 things in the party finder. So we do have, you know, if everything seems dead, you might be playing at non-peak hours. But... That's even going to wane, right? We've already got people saying they're not feeling it for raid or, or, or they're, you know, just, you know, including me, not logging on as much to do stuff. That's why I love Discord. 
I love our bot that lets us set up events and are looking for group channel with some be like, you know, I'm free on Friday. Anybody want to knock these fights out? I will be there. Agreed. But, but anyway, back to this. Yes, uh, th- we. I would totally dig this this uh, fight for your victory roulette wheel. Looks like they had some nice uh, uh, lanyards and bags. It's all purple. Did anyone go to Germany and get these for me? Because they're all purple. I, th- I believe I asked. Uh, dungeon speedruns and Q&A session. That's good. When are our speedruns coming back? I was just going through some old photographs from like 1.0 or 1.23, I think. And I like I was in like a four chest run of something because you speedrun it, you got more chests. Where are our speedruns? Mm-hmm. And they had a cosplay contest. Again, so much good cosplay, guys. I just can't even believe it. And they're biggest ever fan gathering in Germany at Bogen 2 in Cologne. Is that a club or something? Oh, go up to the video and watch, like, the last, like, uh, little bit. They, it's, it's Euro. It's, they club and, like, I see the flashing Mm, lights and lasers and stuff and you got that Euro club mix, baby. (laughs) Come on. 90s Euro club mix. It's happening. (laughs) There is something for everyone to enjoy. So, uh, they met new friends and old friends and made new ones, experienced unforgettable moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they hope to see us again next year. And this is submitted by someone's name I can't say. From the Final Fantasy, I'm assuming European team. They said they were back in London. I didn't watch the video yet. All right. Let's see. We have uh, some shots. There are some shots, uh, of course, what it comes up over and over, and then right now it's coming up a lot, is again some more thoughts about, maybe hopefully final thoughts at least for now. We can't promise it won't come up again, but final thoughts on toxicity in casual groups. Uh, I, I know some of our issues, I know we've talked with, uh, I've, I've talked with some listeners, I've talked with, I've sent some PMs to uh, free company members too, just be like, what do you what do you think of this or whatever? I've gotten some feedback. I think some of it is the definition of things. I mean, making something sound like if it's not perfect, it's awful, mm-hmm. right? So Ruby, you put in the notes here about the definition of suboptimal versus substandard. So yeah, I, optimal. We can define optimal, right? Right, That's like the perfect run. And I, I would I would want to give our what we define it as because I think there's some variance in definition and this is just for clarity's sake, but I I think you can unanimously unanimously say that optimal is the tippy top, right? If something is at full optimization, you're running at 100% efficiency. I think that's a well-established definition. So if something is suboptimal, it's less than 100%. Okay. Fair enough. Which doesn't mean bad. It doesn't mean bad. It's less than 100%. The absolute 100% hit. Yeah. If, you're, if you're a 98% parser, let's talk about DPS because I think it's the easiest way to look at it. If, you, if you're a 98% parser, you were 1% worse than the person I have uh, on top of you. Are you a shit player? No, you probably were world first. But I mean like I, I – if you're just going by two numbers, 99 is better than 98. So you're 1% shittier. Than the other person. All right, I'm just saying that's the definition of optimal. All right, it is probably the difference between a 
14 minute run and a 20 minute run. Yeah, I mean, whatever the reason is, whatever the reason is, you sharded. I don't know what your problem was that day. You're 1% shittier than the other guy. Uh, and then the, and then the other would be standard. So this is, I think, where it gets a little foggy. Um, the way we define standard, um, is going to be a definition that is honestly, I don't believe is placed by us as the player. But just to define substandard, saying standard means you have drawn a line somewhere. There's a line drawn, right? A standard it's is like the average, line. right? It's, it's you can define it that way. I think that's where you get into what's the that's definition of standard. That's where I get in trouble as I'm like my average party is this. Right. Somebody may not say standard means average. They have drawn their line and that is their standard. Maybe my standard is I don't date this person. And somebody else's standard is if they've got two legs and are warm, that's the standard. You know? <laughs> Hell, I don't even care about the legs. You know, so uh, that standards can different person to person. Um, now, I am at this point going to take my opinion out of the conversation because this topic, at least the word casual toxicity, has been a topic that I have heard recently on um, Frosty's podcast. And you can go listen to their most recent episode. I think they record on Mondays. Or maybe it's Saturdays. I think it's Saturdays. And uh, Frosty's most recent episode, he had um, – uh, is it Kai, is it Kaiori Star? What's Kai's name? Kai, it's Kai Star, Nariko Star's husband. Um, it's uh, Bok Choi, and it is Ethis, and they all talk about casual toxicity. It's a very long podcast, but I think it's very good. But the part I want to reference is it's I think around the sixty-five minute mark. Bok Choi is talking, and I don't want to quote him out of context here. Go listen for yourself. But Bok Choi. A world first, top tier raider, healer, is saying that there is a standard in this game. Standard is not placed by the player, it's placed by the game. The standard is what is the requirements to beat this fight? Do you make it in? Can you beat this fight? Now he goes into more depth. I won't butcher his thing. Go listen, 65 minute mark, the most recent Frosty podcast. But what I will say is what I believe Yelton and I define standard as is the same. It's the eye-level requirement to get into the expert, and it is do you have enough DPS to beat the, the enemies and the bosses, enough healing to make it through that fight, and enough sensible tanking within the time limit that the game gives you. If you can do it within 90 minutes or 120 minutes or whatever it is, at the DPS requirement and get it through, you have met the game's standard of doing that. If you spent all 90 minutes doing a dungeon, God help you. That is terrible. <laughs> that is the most and awful most kill myself like experience. Anyway, but the game's like, no. Nobody... And I timed out of dungeons before. Back in the day, we timed out on... Nobody wants that. Nobody so wants so, that. so <laughs> also, don't believe that when we say a standard is the bare minimum that we want that nobody wants a 90 minute dungeon but the standard is what the game says not what what we say we can say what we desire but the standard is placed by the game it is suboptimal i can't call it substandard 
I will also say Bok Choy put a question recently on Twitter. It's probably worth looking up. But he asked a question about toxicity. And I think the question was, a player puts an E4S clear party up on Party Finder. Each new player who joins, the leader checks their FF logs on the player. And based on the history of their E1 through ES clears, I'm sorry, E1 through E3 clears, removes members who don't meet a certain standard. Toxic or not toxic, why? Uh, puts an E4S yeah. clear party up on Party Finder. The leader change. Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So the results are almost split down the middle. 55 say it's toxic. 45 say it's not toxic. And before you say, well, there were five votes, there were 3,224 votes at the Ooh. time of this recording. Okay. Yeah, Bok Choy's yeah. known. <laughs> People know who this guy is. All right. So they, they, they responded. 50, it's almost split down the middle. Why it's toxic or not dis- responses. Yes, if it's not disclosed. No, if it's transparent. But the response is disclosure might risk disciplinary action and mm-hmm. people will report it and subject you to GM roulette and a ban. So I would understand why somebody would choose not to expose themselves. Uh, party leader's decision. You don't like it too bad. Make your own party. If I relied on Party Finder to get my clears, I would be mm-hmm. doing this 100%. I would not be trying to waste my time. I have joined too many groups where people are dragged across the finish line or costed other people's clears. Uh, and while I don't agree with the tactic, I do agree that the party finder leader can literally do whatever they want in regard to party. how they the lay out the description. Not toxic, a wise friend once said. Yeah, there's a lot. But you know who's saying not toxic? That's a lot of people who I see run some serious content. Uh, people who are saying toxic, I don't know. Maybe they aren't. Maybe they're uh, top-tier players. I don't know. Toxic because you're excluding people based on an unofficial database, which may not hinder your clear, and you also wasted the time of the people who ruined, who joined your party finder when they could have joined another party finder and started the raid. The response for uh, FF Logs is unofficial but objectively accurate, and DPS competency is the key to winning the fight. True, it does waste well, people's time. And, and, there, and there's someone here talking about, you know, clearing on alts and stuff. If I joined a party as a scholar and I usually play white mage, I would type pretty quickly, I've cleared it on my white mage, but I'd like to try on my scholar or whatever. I, I would I would try to get that out before anyone looked me up anyway, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or just don't, right? <laughs> yeah. Um Wow. So I'm sorry. I'm kind of digging through all these responses, just trying to see the points of view. And um, I mean, I can see both sides because like the toxic responses seem to see it's toxic for an echo outside of the community. Like Mm -hmm. this one says toxic saying you've had your chances, how a community shrinks. Said player may also not have had a say in which logs got uploaded and which didn't. I disagree with the concept that an unofficial record forever tarnishes a player's chances of raiding. Uh, and Bokchoy actually says you have one of the strongest cases for voting mm-hmm. toxic in all the comments thus far. I understand mm-hmm. the desire to enforce a performance standard to ensure the success of the party, but having your logs serve as a scarlet letter isn't ideal growth for the raiding scene. Well, Agreed. But- 
And what if I don't parse, so all my runs aren't in there, but let's say Ruby parses and he only went with me on my two bad tries. That's – and see, there are right? – there is that That's, flexibility. That, there is that. There's that for sure. Is That's like, why we need you know, in-game parsers. <laughs> oh, no, I can't, I can't agree. I also hate being kicked from anything without being told, you know what, I didn't want dual white mages or do you know what – but but again, you can't – how do you type it in the game? Yeah. A lot of times when I join stuff like this, they also give me their Discord and they can be like, mm, looked up your parses, whatever, and then I get to defend myself or get kicked and understand why. I would hate being kicked and not understand why. I yeah, it makes you, it would make you feel bad. You can't really, you know, you try to get back in your blocked or blacklisted or something else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that's that's a that's a negative feeling. And if you think about the toxicity of the how it echoes through a community, I can I can see that when you look at it from. The person running the party finder's point of view, you go, wow, it's assholish to join somebody's party and not have a full concept of the fight. We talked about this last week when we were covering this, that there is maybe not a standard, and this is where I kind of want to bring it full circle back to the original conversation, is that um, E4S sets the standard. So if your DPS is below the standard that E4S sets, Bakchua didn't set the standard. The game E4S set the standard, right? set the standard for that fight. If now you needs to do this much to pat to ride the roller coaster. Now you are using a tool that may not accurately show their performance because maybe they perform better than the logs that they have uploaded. But based on the data that you can see, if they don't meet the standard that E4S sets for you. You would kick it, and I guarantee you, Yelta, the people who who would agree that have sent us feedback, Yelta, and would agree with uh, a higher standard, quote-unquote, would also say, fuck yeah, kick the people if they're not making it. So you see the game sets the standard. That, that's all yep, I'm trying to yep. say is the okay. game sets the standard for, for doing that. Whether you decide to use – I'm not putting my opinion out there. Uh, but I'm saying that the that if you decided to kick somebody based on the data, that's your choice based on the data that you use. Maybe you need to gather more data, uh, mm-hmm. or or you know take a different. Well, stance. and that and that's what I know. A lot of Novika's bosom parties that I'm just going to put out there, even for EX clears, we get the people to join. I never look anybody up beforehand. We always go in, do a couple polls, and then a lot of times we type, "This isn't working," and we'll dissolve the party. Sure. Right. We try to we try to save. I, I don't know. That might seem toxic, but we're trying to save someone's feelings uh, and to I get think, back out there. Yeah, and still give someone a try. That's that's the hard part. I think toxicity honestly depends on the side of the coin. It is such a great topic. They start this podcast. One last reference to Frosty's podcast here. They start it with saying one word labels for things is not a good idea. And so kind of going back to last episode we did, if we were using one word labels to do something, you know, that's not really what we mean to do because there's a gray area in everything in life, I think, almost, almost. Uh, and so y- you can you can paint with a wide brush and – if it doesn't work for you, I saw this comment today on the forums. I went to the fucking forums and it was about how is it fair that somebody can just kick you from a dungeon uh, for whatever? And, you know, some people say, well, it's it's not fair. You should report them if they say that your DPS sucks or whatever. 
Uh, but it was almost the same topic where if you got kicked from a dungeon and they didn't really tell, tell you anything, then it's not really – there's not really anything. You just kind of cue back up and you start again yeah. or you look in the mirror and you figure out what's going on that you're getting kicked for things. And To this uh, day yeah. though, I am still so thankful someone – said something to me in a dungeon way back when I had switched to Black Mage and something had changed. Someone said, hey, did you know if you blah, 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 and they weren't bitchy about it or nothing. They're like, if you push these buttons in these order, that'll be better. And I was like, all right, thanks. And then they sent me, it was I don't think the, the balance didn't exist yet. Mm-mm. But there's some other site. They're like, hey, Google this and look into it. They didn't kick me. They didn't threaten me. They're just like, hey, I noticed what you're doing. And maybe they were running a parser. I have no idea. You could easily tell that I was casting too many ice spells or whatever the fuck I was mm-hmm. doing. But but then it there is that fear that the flip of the coin is I can have this friendly interaction in a dungeon and people can either be assholes or be nice or people can give advice and people can be receptive or not receptive. And it's very frustrating. And the fact that the game kind of makes it sound like if you impede my gameplay style, I'm going to report you. Yeah, that's such an extremist take. I don't think I don't think most people are that way. And I think what a lot of this conversation does, yes, it exposes the few cases that it happens. It's fun again, and I spend too much time on it on shit post XIV looking at the toxic <laughs> dungeon runs because I think yeah. they're funny. But when oh, that, that was a lot of last week's comments were just kind of some of this tongue in cheek. Yeah, of like, but that's yeah, where that toxicity bad, can spill over for people who are too stupid to know the difference. Just like the meta, you know, when somebody yeah. says, well, if you got to have this, that and the other in the party or else it's not good. Well, where did you read that from? What Reddit post did you read that from or Facebook or GameFacts.com post did you read that from and think that that should be the standard for you on week nine, week ten? You know, with with five mm-hmm. upgraded pieces of gear, that that's really what you have to have every single time. It's it's where things like that just get kind of twisted out of shape. So no, we don't want to one one word label people. Um, we don't want to do that. So so that's that's not our choice. But it's such a varied topic. You know, uh, go listen to that podcast. You've got three people who have three different definitions of what casual are, and if you can get a whole data center to agree on the same thing, then bravo. But <laughs> I don't agree. <laughs> I don't agree that's the case. We've gotten comments that one data center is more mo better than another one. And I even to the tune that recently uh, there was a comment in our own Discord about that had the numbers about the data center clears. Oh, cl- clears and stuff. But based I on made one center. comment yeah. that said facts, facts over feelings or something. And uh, – I think I got a couple of downvotes in my own Discord over it. And and the the fact of the matter is those numbers may be accurate. People don't like to hear that. If the numbers are accurate, the numbers are accurate. Sorry, can't help you. Facts over feelings. Uh, but uh, the, the same token is it's this toxic answer, right? From the point of view of somebody saying, hey, our data center has good clears and we do good stuff. It's not toxic. They're just numbers. From the data center that says everybody talks about our data center is real shitty and all this. It's toxic. You see how you use the data is what makes the toxicity. So so uh, get ready because we just read Yoshida wants to break all those walls anyway. So if you're so afraid of Crystal Raiders being on your data center, it may not be terribly long before you're infected with Crystal Data Center. And it may be that 
you know, your tank may not wall-to-wall pull when Primal shows up on the Aether data center. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. I don't know. It's still it's, – it's an interesting topic. I think a lot of it still still boils down to so many different types of players playing together, especially in random content. And we've been trying to educate our free company members and the friends of our free company members on – what certain labels mean and they may not be data center wide and on top of which we we have some people in our free company who you know sometimes queue up for stuff or join parties or make parties that are a little further along than we are and it goes okay but it you know just i don't know there are a ton of different player types in here with different abilities different histories and mmos different histories and playing stuff on alt jobs or whatever just try try to be understanding and what's the worst thing that happens is you join the wrong party or someone joins your party wrongly you may waste a little time getting out of that elegantly is the hard part i think without yeah if you have to get out of it i don't i don't think a dungeon you have to get out of unless it's like a very dire circumstance and i think vote kick works and everyone who's responded to us about like especially expert roulettes or normal dungeons any sort of like randomly queued up stuff everyone who's responded to us has really who's personally responded to me i'll say for sure has said you know if it's not my ideal party i'll still I'll still stay with it. And they'll help. I'm not going to have a fit. And I, 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 yeah, and I appreciate that mentors that are true mentors, just kind of go back to Catella's thing, the true mentors that actually want to help are actually helping. I think that's Mm -hmm. what a mentor should be doing is saying, hey, you should try your Fire 4 or whatever, you know, what's, whatever your issue was back in the day that somebody actually was a true mentor. And stepped out and helped you. So again, like it's what you do with the data. I think you know. I don't. I don't suggest well, parsing and dungeon. I, I think it's kind of dumb. But but, but but I but I've done mentor roulettes doing Shiva Extreme, and it wasn't going to happen. We no. did many, and you can know again, without ACT pools, and you're like this. I no, I don't even think I had ACT up. You don't have just, to. You no, can know you from something, and that's but where you going can, back. You can gracefully bow out that. The, it's not going to work. This this group is not prepared. It's to not me. It's you. Wait, no, right? no. This group is not prepared to clear this content. Right. I think that I don't. I don't think that's toxic. That What's is toxic fact. is if you joined that party knowing you didn't know the fight or oh, you no, weren't. No, this is right. This is right. This is ex, this is mentor roulette. In mentor roulette, I can pull. We can pull two dozen well, times. And, and Yelta, like, you know, no. This is where our own personal free company. Hate to belabor this subject, but this is where our own free la- uh, free company had issues with definitions of what belonged or what 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 type of fight you were getting into. Right? right? We've right. had to redefine yep. this several times about what's the difference between a blind fight, what's the difference between a a, uh, a clear, what's, what's a, a clear? learning, what's progression, progression. What what's a farm. And uh, through that process of redefining and making sure everybody understands the definition. Um, we've learned that not everybody shares the same definition, but we also learned 
in conjunction with the, the standard that the game sets is when you make your own party finder party, you can circumvent the game standard of eye level and different things. Oh, yeah. So yeah. party finder is that one trap that if you don't set a certain standard – I saw this on the forums today too. How dare people set an eye level that's higher than the, the, the required thing oh, for the, the – minimum? Du- yeah, oh. than the minimum. Well, that's because in a party finder, you can set the sta- – you can in the game set the standard of the eye level well, – that you but want I've to said, join you for that. But at the I've same said token. For years, though, yeah. I just say, okay, I will avoid that party. If it is something that sure. I don't agree with what the party finders look for, I just don't join that party. Next, there are other parties up where I can make my own. Well, make a forum post about it next time, Yelta, and make a petition <laughs> about why that person should be banned. Um, yeah. but, go, but going back, uh, in addition with that, is um, that even though the game sets the standard um, in that instance, a party finder can circumvent for better or worse. Yes, I can set a higher eye level, but I can also take in seven other scrubs lower than the eye level requirement because I set up the party and we're going in as a party finder. So well, We've cleared Titania how many times with people who didn't even hit the item level that the game wanted. Correct. But we've yeah. also had the issue where people had the wrong expectation because we circumvented Absolutely. the standard that the game sets. If we had went into Duty Finder and done it, it would have been terrible, but it also would have at least been the game's <laughs> yes. standard. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's it's well and then you have all this old content. That one still tickles me reading Discord chats today, the multiple Discords I'm in. There are a lot of people coming up that don't understand that everything you've done so far is old content they've nerfed into the ground. Yeah. With the with the you know, reshuffling of potencies and the fact that you, pro- you probably overgear it and all this sure. other stuff. I cannot believe how fast and easy the low anything other than current content is right now. Oh yeah, it's pretty it's even pretty dumb. Even leveling roulette, even with three little sprouts, we just murder everything just completely nuts. And I, I get it. Yeah. They nerf everything on purpose to make it easier to catch up, but it's like, wow, when do they learn to play? It's got to be rough. If, if I never played Final Fantasy fourteen before today, I bought the game and started playing it, I would get all the way till I don't know, the Quintana Ravel or Innocence or something before I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, there are mechanics. Hmm. You know? Scary. Scary yeah. but true. You know? Try, you know, buy a jump potion and a lore book and oh my god <laughs> you know go back with that and i know that's could get get meme to hell too you know like oh it came up on heaven on high and now i don't know how to do shit well that's not necessarily the case but that just kind of goes to show you and and again those mm-hmm. those guys on that podcast said the same thing it's how big of a melting pot the experts are and then mm-hmm. that the older dungeons don't even have a standard because the game removed the standard for the old I dungeons solo most of those a lot of the old dungeons i don't even think i'd need anyone else to play with me some of them. Oops. Yeah. Well, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. Them removing oh, the eye level requirement for queuing up for those. Now that is still one of my biggest issues. Is there should be when I'm just queuing up for stuff, it makes completely nuts 
that I'm le- I'm playing in level 74 content and people are still level wearing level 59. Yeah, here. I agree. I no, agree completely. No, they the need standard has been mm, removed for that content no, and it's yep, just... they just just surgically removed the standard or yeah. it was never there. I don't know. It was there. Just, it, well, at one time. Well, it, well, way yeah, back in the you day, can clear it. But now you can clear it because someone can carry you through it. That's a whole other topic. Is yep. carrying people who shouldn't get through content through content. And I said we'd only talk about this for ten minutes, but here All we right, are. We're done now. All right. <laughs> no Let's more. move on to happy hour, uh, listeners' questions and fan mail. I think Ruby, you pasted in this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got uh, a email from Robert D'Souza. Thank you for your email. It says, hey, just wanted to say that I love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Keep going with Savage. Thank you. And would you be willing to do a spoiler cast on Nier and what you think might be in the upcoming 24-man raid? Best one with no thoughts. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your email. I think we may have answered your question early in the podcast about two hours ago. Uh, <laughs> the answer is yes, we'd love to. Yes, <laughs> and we will. So as soon as I get done and Yelta's been done, uh, I think she'll probably go back and finish a few more I'm endings. We're going to go play a couple more endings, I think, to make and sure I – Yeah. We'll have it and we'll do – and so we'll we'll announce it and we'll say, hey, we've got a, a near spoiler cast. But I think it would be fun and then to fun to like say what who would be – you know, is Pascal going to be in the first one? Probably. You know, so we'll, we'll get it all figured out how we want to uh, do that. But yes, most definitely the answer to your question is yes. Um, and I'm going to continue, Yelta, if you'll let me, uh, to move on with some last calls. Um, I have a last call with Phoenix down radio. That's my shout out because this weekend on September 7th at 8.30 p.m. Central Time, it is their fourth anniversary celebration. Yes, Phoenix down radio has been around for four years and we're celebrating. I believe this is going to be on their Twitch. It'll be a live broadcast. I'm going to try Elta real quick here to... Go to my Twitch and take a look at uh, Phoenix Down Radio because uh, I think that is what's happening. So I'm excited to be a part of that. Of course, that's uh, Klaus and Company, and um, it should be it should be a really good time. It should be a really good time. So Phoenix Down <laughs> Radio. I'm going to their Twitter. Yell to. I, I, I have total guilt that I'm busy that weekend with yeah. my sister. I'm going I'm to my sad. sister's house for the weekend, and uh, I felt really bad telling Klaus. No, sorry, I'm busy. Hmm. All right. I'm on their. I'm on their page. They're hosting somebody, so I can't see. What's going on? And I'm terrible at uh, I'm terrible at this. I'm okay, too old for Twitch. so yes, episode 103 airs Saturday, September 7th, and that is 9:30 Eastern, 6:30 Pacific. So that's 8:30 Central Time Zone. That's Yelta and my time zone, um, and that's going to be the celebration. So uh, tune in, and that's on their Twitch TV slash Phoenix Down Radio. I have a shout out that's not in the notes. As of this moment, it is uh, September 5th at 12 a.m. I want to wish my husband a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Ulf. Happy birthday, Ulf. <laughs> He's probably sound asleep right now, but it'll tickle him to hear this. So, hmm. Do you know Ulf shares the same birthday as Freddie Mercury? 
Freddie uh, Mercury is September. I think he's mentioned that he he loves them. He loves them so much. Yeah. <laughs> he he th- those songs and and uh he just constantly brings stuff up. Cool birthday to <laughs> He's a big fan. Yeah, yeah. So happy birthday. Happy 50th birthday, Ulf, because you're old now. I love you. <laughs> Fitty. Fitty. All right. It's closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. You can find links to all of our episodes and blog posts on our website, www.gtffxiv.com. While you're there, please leave us a comment. And if you would like to, you can support us by clicking the donation button. You can find us on Twitter at gtffxiv. Email us at gtffxiv at gmail.com. Uh, please rate us. Uh, personal plugs for me. Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Rubicon Vale, R-U-B-I-C-O-N-V-A-L-E. And you can find me on Twitter at Yelta Sumasu, Y-E-L-T-A-S-U-M-A-S-U. As always, thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>